you've got your Bible with you, go to the book of Proverbs. I thought it was pretty neat how the Lord brought us to the 4th of July and celebrating independence along with to the book of Proverbs. And as I've been thinking through um, the book of Proverbs, I've been thinking about a, a way to be wise in an unwise world. And if you think about this day that we're celebrating, and I know it's an awesome day and we're declaring our independence and we've got freedom and it's the 4th of July and we're going to wear red, white, and blue and we're going to go tomorrow and have hamburgers and hot dogs and you're going to shoot fireworks. And so just a word of a caution to the men, fireworks do hurt if they get too close to your fingers. So I'm going to encourage you to be wise tomorrow uh, with your fireworks. I'm sure that there's not going to be a wife out there trying to blow something up, but I'm sure there might be a husband that might say, let's just try two bottle rockets or three bottle rockets or let's just try this. And, you know, they always go boom. So don't be anywhere close, men. Uh, to that, so and uh, so, and I say to you, celebrate, enjoy, enjoy living in America. But I think you really need to stop and look around and recognize that we are living in America and we are declaring, you know, our independence. But look how far we've come. Look where we are. Look around you and see our society. I mean, take a good look. Don't just breeze over it. Don't just take five minutes. Don't go look where you like to look. Take a good look. Because as you think about our society, and I think about the book of Proverbs, I think about the word wisdom. And as I've been thinking about wisdom, I just ask myself, where do we go for wisdom? What do we let the world say to us is wise? And so I was just, searching the internet, just typing in different words, typed in the word happiness. And as I was thinking about Independence Day and I was thinking about our society and I was thinking about America, I was just reminded that we're looking for happiness from the United States of America, the things that the world has to offer. Eleven simple ways to make yourself happy every day. Fourteen things to that prove to make you happy. 25 things that make you happy. If I could just have that house, that car, that ring, that dress, that job, then I would be happy. So in the quest of our celebration over this weekend, and as you come face to face with the book of Proverbs, where where are you finding happiness? If we would ask you this morning to fill in the blank, if I just had blank, then I would be happy. And there's a temptation for us to say, well, if it's just something of this world, then I would be happy. Then life would be okay. And what's really interesting is today, and I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but you're one day older today than you were yesterday. It's true, right? But as you get older, do you get wiser? As you get older, do you stop and really start to think about Because I've found some pretty mean old people. 
I found some pretty unhappy people with gray hair, which is very interesting to me because you would think as your hair gets grayer, you would get wisdom. And so you would start to think about things that really do matter. And that you would start to reprioritize your life, say, you know what, this is what really matters. But we have a tendency to, even as we get older, to say, you know what, if I just had this. Or as you think about the world, and I've run into this often, you find people that don't take responsibility for their actions. I know that's shocking to you. And I find it, I find people as I, you interact with people, it's, it's never the individual's responsibility for that action because, you know, we're just supposed to be happy. Let's just, just live life. It's all about me anyway, because really I am independent. I'm just painting this picture where, you know, I live in America and it's all about me. I'm number one. And so there's this lie that goes around if, if something happens at, at work or your friends or, well, it was my mom's responsibility. You know, my mom did this when I was, when I was, when I was five, and so I'm just going to hold my mom responsible for the rest of their life. Well, you know, it was my dad. It was really my dad's fault because he didn't teach me responsibility, so I'm just going to blame it on my dad. You know what's really sad? There's a lot of people sitting inside of these walls that are still blaming their parents. There's a lot of people still sitting inside these walls saying, you know what, I'm not going to be responsible for my choices. I'm not going to be responsible for my actions. And the truth of the matter is, no matter what our parents did or did not do, they are not responsible for you to this day. They're not. No matter how good my father was or how bad my father was, he does not take direct responsibility for my choices today. He doesn't. But we live in a society where it's very easy to grow up and say, you know, well, it's the 4th of July, it's Independence Day, well, I'm not going to be responsible for anything. And I realize that you're sitting here thinking, you know what, I haven't really thought a whole lot about this, but just listen to your friends. Listen to when something happens at work. Listen when it's somebody else's fault. And then do you find yourself making those same comments? Well, it wasn't me, or is it you're one of those people who say, well, stop and say, hold on a second, I will take responsibility. I was wrong. Maybe probably what we should do is actually write those words on our calendar when we actually admit that we're wrong, and then go back throughout the year and see how good you are at saying to yourself that you're wrong. I think that's a huge life lesson that does not come natural for anyone sitting in this room. There's not one of us that volunteers say, you know what, I like being wrong. It is so much fun. Also, as you live in our society, and, and if you have children, you would know about this, but it, this fascinates me. If you go down to the high school or to the middle school, you could ask these kids if they're dating. If, I don't know if you realize this. They don't date anymore. They have friends with benefits. So there's no longer I'm committed to you and we'll be dating. Let's just be a friend and let's see how I can get my benefits from you and you be my friend. And that's just appalling to me. I just can't comprehend that you know, concept. I just, it just makes no sense to me. 
I would like to try it out in life, though. I'd really like to go to to Bill Jarrett or Alan Jay or Wells Motors and say, listen, I really want you to be my friend. And the benefit would be I could drive whatever vehicle I want on this lot. Let's try this out. And if I really like it in such and such amount of a time, then I'll come back and I will pay you. Do you think they would sign up for that? No. But it's amazing in the society that we live in. And and one of the fun things that Susan and I do is get a chance to go into the high school and talk to the students um, and just listen to them. And it's amazing when you talk about this, this is no big deal to them. And what was really cool is the last time that I was in there, I get a chance to talk about marriage and family and and wise choices and responsibilities. And so I was talking about this in class. And, and I explained it to this, you know, this, this used concept, guys and girls and all this stuff. So I just said to the group, I said, you know, I know about this friends with benefits thing. And, and so I told them this whole story about, you know, Alan Jay, and I was going to go there and try to buy the car and let them, I was going to try it out for a while and see if they like it. And one of the boys said, just real quietly underneath his breath, I said, I said this comment, do you think Alan Jay would let me buy that as a, as a new car or a used car, and the boy looked me right in the eye and says, you know what, sir, that would be used goods then. And I said, gentlemen, take care of your women. Because they do not belong to you until they put a ring on a finger. And then you get the privilege and the responsibility to care for them for the rest of your life. See, that's what the world is telling us. Hey, just go enjoy your life. I'll just just have fun. So I ask you this morning, where do you go to find wisdom? And what's interesting is, is this is this next slide is most of you would say to me, Oh, well, I probably would go to my Bible, and my comment back to you is, is are you in awe of the scriptures? Is there a desire when, when that book is in front of you? Is there an excitement in front of you? Say, okay, you just speak to me. What do, I want to hear your voice today. Because we have a tendency as we go along in life that our Bible just becomes another book. Another opportunity to hear, hear a story or, or talk about information. And what I know is true is if I would ask every single one of you sitting in this room, you want wisdom. You would say, if I would say to you, do you want wisdom? And you would say back to me, most of you would say yes. Because we're in church, and that's what you want supposed to say when you're in church. But there's also another side of you that says you, that a side of you that none of you like to be told what to do. So, in one sense, we would say yes, we want this. In another sense, there's this sin nature inside of us saying, "You know what? Don't tell me what to do." And so, there's a war going on inside of you, and there's a tendency just to leave that book called the Bible just off to the side. And say, well, it's just really good for the preacher. It's fascinating how you think the Word of God should work in my life. My same view of you is you should have the same value of the Word of God that I have. There's no different just because you call me pastor. My lifestyle shouldn't be any different than yours. So this morning as you're here, is is the Bible something that you're in awe of? Is the Bible something that you go back to? In a society where it's all about individuals and self, and there's lots of lies. Lots of lies. I remember doing some premarital counseling with this guy, and they're still married, and 
um, they had been together for a while, and so they were they were living together. And he wanted to know if I would marry them. And I said, "Well, you know, you want to do this big wedding. I don't mind doing your wedding, but y'all need to get married like right now because I can't stand up in front of God and say, okay, bless this home if you're all just doing your thing over here.'" And he said, "Okay." So I got so we did this whole wedding thing beforehand, and we got married. And he said to me the very next day, he said, "You know what? It was so much more fun taking out the trash married than when I was just living together." I thought that was interesting. Because when they were living together, he wasn't taken out of the trash. When they got married, he said, babe, I'll take out the trash. Interesting. So as I watch people and as I go back to this book, and I know, I know that I'm not a popular person in society. I realize that. I know if I would go out and and write in the Highlands today or the New Sun that the Word of God is the final authority of everybody's life. You should surrender to it. People are not going to write me not a lot of letters. They're going to say, oh, you know what, we really, we really appreciate that. But what I do know this is that the Bible is the basic instruction before leaving earth. And you can say it some other ways too. What I know is I am one day closer today leaving this earth than I was yesterday. And so as I think my way through that, will I come back to this book and say to this book, will you guide me? Will you help me? Will you give me wisdom in a world that changes every single day? Society changes every single day. I don't know if you realize, but in Canada, bestiality is no longer wrong in law. They've overturned it. It's not against the law in Canada. I don't know if you realize in Europe, that now you can be born, and now they're saying in a certain country in Europe that you will, they will wait, they will no longer put male or female on the birth certificate, they won't do that. They will wait until that person decides what they want to be. And then they can declare what they are once they get old enough to actually know the truth. Which I'm not against any of those people, I'm against sin. And I realize that when I stand with this book in front of me, and this book is where we are this morning is the book of Proverbs, I recognize that Psalm has written stuff for us to give us wisdom. It's not popular. It's not fun. And a lot of the book of Proverbs I really don't like. Because when I read through these things, I see where that I am inadequate. I see where that I have failed. I see where that my sin comes just jumping out of the page at me saying, hey, wait hold on a second, you've got to figure this thing out, buddy. This is right in front of you. This is for you. I come face to face with reality. I really don't care what the world does. I really don't care. Because I know what goes on outside of there is not indwelled by the Holy Spirit. What I do know is I come back to this book, and if I want wisdom, then I have to accept that wisdom or reject that wisdom. If you think about the book of Proverbs, you could ask yourself maybe a couple questions. What is the virtue that's recommended? What's the vice that is warned? And what value is held up for our approval? I got that from Dr. David Jeremiah. As you go through the book of Proverbs, you can maybe ask yourself those three questions as you read through uh, the book of Proverbs. Good questions. Um, I'm not saying you have to, but it's just an opportunity. As we gather around the book of Proverbs, I want you to go to chapter 1. And I'm going to put a passage of Scripture, and I'm going to put a couple pictures here, and then I'm going to come back together with kind of like a, say, a sentence that kind of describes uh, this 
this passage of Scripture. So Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord, what does that mean? As I sat down and worked through some different thoughts, these are some words or some phrases that I kind of put together when it comes to the fear of the Lord. Reverence, awe. I'm in awe of the Lord. I'm in awe of the Lord's ways. I'm in awe of the Lord's decrees. I'm in awe of the Lord's laws. I'm in awe of the Lord's uh, plan. So if you have this book sitting in front of you, and you read most likely a verse that you've heard often, are you in awe of the Lord this morning? Is there something where you stop and say, okay, Father, I honor, I respect you. I don't know if you remember, and I tried to think of different word pictures, but my best word picture is I remember being uh, in Mrs. Flickinger's class. I can't remember what grade that was, but I was in awe of that class. I love that class. And I'll never, I always remember going into that, her classroom thing, man, this place is awesome. I, I don't, don't know why. I just liked her and I liked her classroom. I liked her as an individual. I can tell you other classrooms that I could not stand. Mr. Spade's class was the boringest history class I've ever been in my life. Uh, there was one teacher that, that happened to be a, a lady and she was Hitler and I didn't like her class either. Uh, I wasn't really good at following the rules. I kind of like to have more fun than do what I was supposed to do, so you know why I got in trouble there. And there are certain people that I just have awe. If you say their name to me, John Hands, he was my basketball coach. And John never sat down and gave me a sermon. John didn't have to. I just knew what John stood for. And I knew the way that John would work me in a basketball game to get the most out of me. He knew how to do it. But what was fascinating to me about John Hans was, and he was a pretty successful basketball coach, but John really cared about us. He really did. Another guy, his name was Kurt Sorg. He passed away, he had a brain tumor. I wish I could have went to his funeral, but I couldn't. He was my football coach. What I learned about, about Kurt was he loved... Uh, the 2-7 program. He loved to memorize scripture. Oh, he was feisty and fiery and a whole lot of fun. But John, or but Kirk Sorg, he would set a rule, and he would say, here's the rule, and he would keep the rule. Didn't matter who the player was. thought that was interesting. So if that was Kirk's rule, then the starting quarterback went by Kirk's rule. Didn't change. Didn't matter if you were the starting quarterback or the defensive back. But I was in awe of those people because of what they stood for. So I ask you a question. Are you in awe of the Lord this morning? Not afraid of him, but respect him enough that when he speaks to you through the word of God, that you'll say, hey, I'll follow you. When he writes down a law or a decree, he doesn't write it down just to manipulate you or control you. Maybe that's what your parents did to you. I don't know. He writes it down because he truly knows what's best for you. I wish I could have had a dollar for every time my dad would have said to me, hey, I know what's best for you. I wish I would have taken that dollar and then obeyed his advice. But I had that something inside of me say, well, dad, you really don't know what you're doing. You're old, dad, really. 
I got this all figured out. And I learned very quickly that my dad wasn't as old as I thought he was, and that his advice really did matter, and his word was true. Do you have that same awe of him? And I think about the word, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of something, knowledge. Do you have an eagerness to learn, to grow? See, that's the beginning. The reverence is the beginning. All of us can stop and say, yeah, God, I am all of you. Okay, what's the last thing you learned from him? What was the last thing that you humbled yourself in front of him and said, you know what? I just don't want to be in all of you, which is awesome, but I want to know what you know, and I want to learn what you've taught me. And then say, okay, now what I've learned, now I'm going to put into practice. That's knowledge. And you can take it back um, to maybe Exodus chapter 20. And it's a really interesting kind of, kind of a parallel. You've got, the, you've got the Ten Commandments. And you go back to Exodus um, chapter 20 and verse 20. And, and it's really interesting what Moses says to the people. Exodus twenty twenty. Moses says this to the people. Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. God has come to you not to be afraid, but he wants to protect you, he wants to keep you from sinning. So he wants you to be in awe of him because then you'll stop and say, no, wait a minute. If I do this, these are the consequences. So we go to the point where we might be involved. Hey, no, hold on a second. My all of the Lord, my respect for the Lord, my honor for his word, I, want, I understand he gave me some knowledge, so I want to stop here because I know if I go down that road, it's going to cost me. And it's fascinating to me to be around this time frame of, of the American history. On July 4th, we're going to celebrate Independence Day, and it's really fascinating to me how dumb America is. We just keep giving people money. We don't have no money, but we'll just give you some more money. No problem. You want $5 million, $10 million, $10 billion, whatever, just write it off on a piece of paper called debt. Somebody's going to call the debt. And so in the midst of a country where we have something in front of us called wisdom, we are fools. Be very careful. Because you could fall into that trap too. Be very careful that you don't just go around. And as I, as I wrap up that verse, I kind of think of these words. The dependence on Jesus is vital. Oh, it's kind of fun just to say, we're declare our independence and shoot fireworks and do all those things. That's kind of, but really, your dependence on the Lord is huge in your life. Because if you're not depending on the Lord, you're depending on somebody else or yourself. And there's a natural tendency for all of us to say, you know what, it's all about me, I can handle this. I can figure this out. I know what's best. But do you? Because what I found in my Bible called the Word of God is a passage of Scripture. It's very interesting. You've got 31 chapters. So you could read one chapter a day from a very wise individual called Solomon to pin some words for you so that, yeah, in the middle of declaring your independence, you'd really be declaring that you're dependent. Another verse that, um, as you think through this, is, is just chapter 2. And 
what's really neat is if you if you break down Proverbs, you can talk about adultery, you can talk about anger, you can talk about barring, you can talk about bribes, you can talk about chastisement, you can talk about discipline, you can talk about drinking and drunkenness, you can talk about enemies, you can talk about family life, and you can go on and on. But chapter 2, interesting. My head, my title of this one says, Avoid Adultery. It's fascinating to me what's going on in our society. It's fascinating to me that people say to me, oh, I haven't found my soulmate. And they think that's a good enough excuse to say, well, I'm done with this. People just buy into it left and right. I'll just say to you, be very careful. It could happen to you. It could happen to me. Susan and I often talk about this. Babe, be careful this could happen to you. Babe, be careful this could happen to you. She loves her Facebook and instant messenger. She keeps saying to me, you need to get an instant messenger thing so you can type in that little square. I said, babe, number one, I don't have time. And number two, you won't know what I type on that. What's interesting now is she reads all my text messages. Does your wife do that too? Anybody else's wife do that too? Don't admit it. You'll get in trouble later. Don't do it. I don't want you to get in trouble. But what's interesting is my phone is linked to the iPad and my iPad, so she knows throughout the day who I've text messaged. I don't have nothing to hide. I'm not worried about it. But she'll then say something to me about a conversation. I say, oh, I forgot I even had that conversation. Oh, you text so-and-so today? Yeah. It's just little things that we do to protect ourselves in a world that's really everything is kind of okay anymore. But the last time I asked her, if I would ask her, I would say to her, babe, do you mind if I go just visit somebody else for a little while? I'm pretty sure she wouldn't voluntarily say yes. She'd probably pull the gun out of the closet and say, listen, buddy, you go over there, it'll cost you. I do have a couple guns at my house. If that, I don't know if that surprises you or not. And they are loaded, so don't come in my house at nighttime. Chapter 3. A passage that you probably know very, very well, that you've heard as you look at these verses. You probably have memorized these three, or these verses. But chapter 3 and verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Why is that so important? Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. and all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. You could write a couple things around your heart. You need to write the word love. I want you to think this. I know this is really, really simple, but this is huge. It's profound. If you want to have favor in God's sight, two words, love and faithfulness. 
That's what's important to God. And most of us, we really would like to love people and have faith because we really want man to honor us. We want man to say, oh, that's a neat person. But really, as you look at that verse, and it just jumped out of the page as I read it this week, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. In a society where it's independence and bank accounts and jobs and success and where you go, I don't see that anywhere that's really important to God. What I find that God values is love and faithfulness. Any of us can do that. As you read through there, there's a word that jumps out as trust. To throw oneself down upon their face. I trust you. Trust in the Lord. Do you? With all your heart. Because there's a temptation. And again, it's a very simple verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your opinion. On your thoughts on your ideas because it's not about you. It's not. And I know that might be shocking, but you know those people, right? If you go out of this, and you know those people, when you walk up to them, it's all about them. You can pick them out. And you're like, oh, no, here they come again because we're going to hear all about them. I mean, I know you would never say that publicly, because you're an adult and you've learned that you don't say those things, but you're thinking them inside your heart. And those people just annoy you, don't they? They just drive you crazy. But is that you? Because that's the natural tendency. Oh, come talk to me. I'll tell you how to figure this out. No. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. and honor him with the first fruits. And I know that's hard. We have a budget book at our house, and we have one in there that says tithe. And when that tithe gets to a certain amount of money, it's like, wow, you could really do this and this and this. and this. I'm just being honest. And so, Lord, I could, you know, buy something over here kind of cool if you just let me kind of use this. That's not honoring the Lord with the first fruits. And I know it's a temptation for all of us. One of the best things we ever did with our budget book, we had a tab in there called clothes. If you have a daughter, you need to do this. Clothes. So when our daughter came to the budget book, she'd flip in there clothes. It was like $35, $45, $75. There's not a whole lot of money in this thing, Dad, for clothes. But it was great for me as a dad just to say, that's all I got, babe. That's my budget. And it learned her to teach her responsibility. It took the pressure off me as a dad. And as I, I just maybe put it this way, your ways acknowledge what you trust. So you can tell me all you're blue in the face. I trust in the Lord with my whole heart, okay? Your ways demonstrate what you trust. 
Your actions acknowledge your ways. The last thing that I want you to see is in chapter 4. And you go to verse 23 and it says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. I was riding around the other day, and and I was talking to I was riding around. And I was talking to Susan too a little bit about it last night. I mean, my God in my heart, I think about you know don't be involved in movies I shouldn't be watching. Be careful of pornography. Be careful of this. Be careful of this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And then it was like the Holy Spirit just zapped me and says, uh, "Don't be resentful." I'm like where did that come from? And it was like the Holy Spirit was saying to me when it comes to guarding my heart, and I'm sure none of you ever have this problem. When somebody upsets you, you just forgive them freely and never go on, never think about it negatively ever again in your life. But I have a tendency to, that I'll let yesterday affect how I live today. Resentment. That's what it really is. Is that you're allowing yesterday to affect how you live today. Guard your heart. Because you know also I've learned? People with gray hair can be very resentful. And they're resentful for things that happened 40, 50 years ago. Guard your heart. Because what I've learned over the years in my life as a Christian is God has a plan for me. And that road is pretty bumpy. And he's already marked it out for me. And really what I've learned even more recently is that plan is really to break me down so that I can say, God, I can't do nothing without you. To get me to a point where I'm so broken that I'll say to him, I need help today. To stop and say, look, Dad, I need your help today. I can't do this. I have no wisdom. I have no understanding. I just totally depend on you today. Would you help me today? And so this morning as you've gathered, and I, and I really think you need to filter that. And you really think you need to filter the things that, le- that are led into your heart. I really think you need to be very careful in that. Because what I've learned is guarding my heart is not easy, and it doesn't come natural. It's not easy to guard my heart. I just want to trust this person, trust that person. or Oh, this kind of looks like fun. Look, will there be any consequences to this or not? It's not easy. It's not easy to tell myself no. Is it easy for you to tell yourself no? The next time you want to go get ice cream, drive by Dairy Queen five times and tell yourself no five times in a row. And then the next day get two ice creams for telling yourself no the day before. But it isn't easy. It's not easy for any of us to tell ourselves no. Because we like ourselves and we like to be happy and we just instant gratification. So you have three sentences, dependent or three statements, really. Dependence on Jesus is vital. Your ways acknowledge what you trust. This won't be easy, and it doesn't come natural. And so I take you back to Psalm 91. Maybe this would just be my prayer for you as you have a book in front of you called the Word of God. My prayer is that you're in all of it. 
My prayer is that you love it. My prayer at times is that you don't like it because it is confronting you with your sin. But you look at this thing and you say in verse Psalm 91, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, He is the Most High. He made the sun come up today. He'll put the stars there tonight. He knows how many days you have left. The question will be, will you rest in that shadow? Will you go to him and say, Lord, you're my refuge. You're my fortress. We're coming to the most high. There's no better peace, no better joy, no better value than in being sheltered by the most high, by choosing him, I promise you. So on this Independence Day weekend, be dependent. As you eat your hamburger, just remind yourself that you are dependent on the Most High. That life isn't about you. Men, may we raise a generation of men in our homes that it's about our wives. That we value them and honor them. May we raise a generation of ladies that honor their husbands. Even when they don't like them. Even when they don't agree with the decision, we still honor them, still love them. Ladies, when was the last time you looked your husband in the eye and said thank you? Or just encouraged him? Susan and I were talking last night. She said, sometimes men can be so arrogant, I don't even want to say anything positive to them. Mm, I can understand that. The last thing I want to say is something positive. Somebody thinks they know it all. Okay, I'm working on it. Give me a break here. (laughs) I got it. I understand. I long to hear your words, babe, more than anybody else. And what I find is when she rests in the shelter of the Most High, things that I value, she values. And when I rest in the shelter of the Most High, the things that she likes and values are the things that I'll like and value. Isn't that fascinating? I wish somebody would have told me that 22 years ago. It's in front of you. It's behind me. Are you in awe of it this morning? 35 children began this relationship. 35 little people, future dads, future moms, said yes to Jesus. You know what they're going to watch? You. They will. So let them... Let's let them see people that are in awe of Jesus. Let's wake up tomorrow morning and declare our dependence on him. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather around your word. And I don't know all of you. I know a lot of you. I don't know all that's going on in your heart, but we have some people. If there's something that you'd like to pray about, we have some people here that would love to pray with you. Our, our What's Next ministry, they're out the back there, second door on the left. They love just to ask God to help you. If you have a burden, you have a concern, you want to know more about Jesus, we would love to sit with you. So don't leave this place without somebody praying with you.
And I promise you what's said in that room stays in that room. It's not the local Bible fellowship church gossip session. Oh, did you see that the preacher was back in that hallway? He was praying. He must have some big problems. Yeah, your preacher's a mess. But your preacher's dependent on one person and one person only, and his name is Jesus. No matter what I face, and I pray no matter what you face, that you'll be dependent on Jesus too. Father, thank you for your words. But may they not just be words. May we look them look at them as your words from the word from God to me. May we be in awe in our actions of what you said to us today. It's your name I pray. Amen.